and welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. This week we have the pleasure to be joined by Paul Fayek, CEO and co-founder at Alloy, the institutional gateway to all of decentralized finance. Paul comes from a very active on-chain background. Alloy, the company he has founded along with his co-founder, takes away the operational and technical complexity of DeFi so you can focus on what matters most for you and for your clients. Enjoy listening! Without further ado then, Paul, welcome to InCheck with Fintech. Thank you so much. We spoke for the first time in November. Um, I checked my uh, my calendar, 28th of November we spoke. Uh, I think it was just at the beginning of FTX uh, debacle. Uh, I think a lot has happened in the meantime, which I'm sure we'll touch on during the show. Before we do so, would you mind giving a bit of an introduction on yourself uh, as well as uh, Alloy Capital, um, which you've obviously founded? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, tumultuous times uh, since, since we last uh, spoke, but uh, just kind of a brief introduction about myself. Um, I come from a very active DeFi on-chain uh, background, basically went through like the entire life cycle of DeFi not existing to not DeFi being uh, quite a, a large thing as a user of, of most of the, the DeFi on-chain infrastructure. Um, participated in, in compound liquidity mining early on, farmed yarn. I was very active during DeFi summer. Um, it was probably one of the more active people on, on ETHLAND before that became uh, Aave eventually. And, and so kind of really spent my time in, in the trenches, which is also how Alloy started because I uh, went to, to uni and um, met my co-founder there. And uh, we were both working on, on very similar things in, in DeFi. And uh, really back then, the, the issue was still very much keeping track of your assets um, on chain and kind of more complex uh, strategies. And uh, we're really, and this is surprising now, we're like, there's quite good tooling for it now. Uh, but back then, like really, what protocols am I deployed into? What am I long? What am I short? Uh, was uh, surprisingly hard to answer sometimes. And so we started building very basic portfolio tooling for our own use. And um, gradually then then realized that like wait if we as like very DeFi native people struggle with some of the operational complexity uh, that, that comes with using actual protocol AI DeFi um, then everyone else probably does as well and um, that's how Alloy uh, came, came to be and um, really what we're doing at Alloy is um, Alloy is a centralized front end for existing DeFi infrastructure where you have one custodial regulated platform and on that you can use existing DeFi protocols natively on the smart contract layer meaning you can use Lido to stake Ethereum you can use Curve you can use Uniswap you can use Compound you can use Aave you can use all of the the large protocols uh, but do that within a regulated and custodial framework and with all of the creature comforts uh, that, that especially the the institutional crowd um, requires. Great. Well, you mentioned staking. Uh, I'm curious to talk a bit more about that uh, later on. So maybe first going back. So you said you started early on in DeFi, right? Do you remember the year? Around what time did you start with DeFi investment? I mean, I got into crypto in 2015, 16. And then, um, I mean, DeFi wasn't really a thing until probably like 2018, 2019. I mean, it really started with uh, Maker launching um, with, uh, it used to be eDollar and, and now it's DAI. Um, and then Compound really invented the concept of, of liquidity mining, which is basically uh, incentivizing liquidity providers on a protocol uh, with uh, native tokens. And in the case of Compound, those comp tokens. And um, that then really kicked off 
DeFi summer, uh, which was um, like six to 12 months of, of just kind of absolute uh, craziness with new protocols launching every day and like really, really creative teams inventing new, new primitives and, and like really new financial products on chain. Um, and so I would say like DeFi really didn't become large and relevant until 2019-ish. So maybe to set the boundaries, you talk about the DeFi summer. Um, that makes me think of a crypto winter. How is DeFi different from crypto? I think there are similarities, but there's also differences, right? Uh, there is. I mean, like really kind of DeFi to define that term, maybe, if, if some of your, your listeners aren't, aren't familiar with it. Um, it. It's short for decentralized finance. And um, really the, the premise is, is that you have applications running on blockchains that provide financial services on a blockchain, and which is fully transparent and you have visibility over where assets are flowing. Um, one of the largest DeFi uh, protocols and, and one of the kind of more successful ones is, is probably Uniswap, uh, which um, is a decentralized exchange where you can swap tokens. So you could swap USDC for Ethereum, for example. And um, Uniswap invented this constant product market maker function. Yeah, they didn't invent it, but they popularized it. And um, where you can basically trustlessly, without um, without going through a centralized entity, swap assets. And um, but to get back to what DeFi is, sorry, um, I realized that was a bit long and rambly. Um, it is really basically modular financial services running on a blockchain, and um, where where you can pick and choose uh, what what to use and um, and and uh, basically engage in, um, in in financial transactions but do that on a on a blockchain and on a public ledger makes sense all right okay so and you've seen it so since 2015 now 2022 why is it picked up since in 2019 what happened what kind of event was there that it made it pick up and spread uh, uh far well became far spread uh COVID, probably, to be completely honest, uh, where a lot of people were just stuck inside and um, and, and that was uh, capturing a, a lot of attention, and which is probably true for, for all of crypto. Um, and uh, kind of the, the COVID times were absolute insanity, where, I mean, Bitcoin almost went to went to zero in, in, in 2020 um, at, at, the, at the COVID bottom, where um, BitMEX, which was then the, the leading derivatives exchange, actually... Uh, shut down for a bit and uh, um, Bitcoin would have gone to like actual zero if, if they hadn't and um, but I think really kind of what uh, would put such a spotlight on on um, crypto and, and DeFi specifically in, in 2020 was very likely COVID and just kind of people being stuck inside and, and exploring new things. And where, where do you feel we stand now? Is there now are we going through a DeFi winter if you will or what's kind of uh, the situation or the general viewpoint on DeFi you feel? Not really. I mean, if, if you look at the, the the crypto landscape from like a high level uh, macro view and with all of the bankruptcies and, and all of the, the frauds and the FTXs and the BlockFi's and the Voyagers and, and countless other names, um, kind of looking at how incredibly well DeFi has performed through all of that and with literally billions flowing through Ave and Compound and Lido and Curve uh, with, without any hiccups. And um, interestingly, I mean, Celsius de declared bankruptcy uh, last year and um, they had outstanding debt on, on Ave and paid back that debt in 
in full before any of their, their creditors got a single cent. And um, so I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of view DeFi lending as kind of the most senior loans in, in, in the stack, uh, where kind of you're incentivized to, to, to pay them back because you, you get penalized basically for, for not doing so. Um, and so really DeFi has performed incredibly well uh, kind of on the fundamental protocol layer um, throughout a few very difficult months. And it has matured, I guess, even though the, those difficult months help probably speed up maturing, I would say. Massively, massively. What about regulation? You talk about now how Alloy is kind of a regulated environment, right? Regulation and DeFi sounds ironic slash counterintuitive. Would you agree? To, to some extent, yes. Um, I, I think kind of looking at how DeFi has evolved and then how it will likely continue to evolve. I think like really there, there's a an increasing convergence of, of kind of fintech and, and DeFi where DeFi is moving increasingly close to towards fintech and then fintech is like fintech companies are starting to to integrate DeFi functionalities um, and um, that does come with regulatory burdens obviously or regulatory opportunities as well. And I think really, especially on the on the custody side, a lot of investors have gotten quite um, careful for, for good reasons. Um, I mean, we uh, talked about it briefly before, kind of the FTX uh, fiasco and um, and uh, Celsius and, and BlockFi. So I think a lot of um, sophisticated investors are increasingly conscious of where they custody assets and, and who actually holds private keys. And I think that that will only continue to uh, to to be be a trend uh, where kind of really the where do I actually store my assets and then how do I uh, then interact with smart contracts? And um, I think is is really one of the the main questions also on on the regulatory side of things. Because regulation, you feel helps with that further maturing of DeFi. I, I believe it does to 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 some extent. I mean, most of the the regulation really has been quite reasonable, um, especially. Um, surprisingly, actually, the, the EU is much further along in terms of regulating digital assets with uh, Mika uh, coming coming mm -hmm. quite soon with um, implementations of the, the, the travel rule, which, which restricts some, some transfers to, to third-party wallets and, and all of that. Um, and um, specifically, Baffin in, in Germany is actually quite, uh, quite, quite at the forefront of, of, of regulating digital assets businesses and um, I'm sure the SEC and, and and other US regulators are going to follow suit there. They have to, right? I mean, it's more and more adopted and then, yeah, like you said, there's more and more use cases for it. So I think the only way that we can make this generally acceptable uh, or accepted is indeed by uh, creating regulation so that we avoid cases such as the likes of FTX. Um, or I mean, Genesis didn't go bankrupt, but that also wasn't a, a great example, I think, uh, or uh, for crypto as such. Um, I mean, in general, I'm a. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. Go ahead. I'm in, in general. I'm a big fan of of regulation that increases transparency. Uh, where really, like FTX, the the main issue was they stole customer deposits and 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 did whatever they wanted with it. Um, and really, it's it's quite it's it's interesting because I mean, it's somewhat ironic actually. Where like really the the main value proposition of blockchains is you have a publicly verifiable ledger of, of transactions 
And and so I would expect a lot more pressure, especially on, on centralized entities, to, to be more transparent in terms of what they do uh, with holdings and especially customer deposits. And we're like, that's really one of the core issues that, that blockchains are, are aiming to to solve, which is the transparency issue. And then like, I put money somewhere uh, and how do I know like the entity that, that says they hold my money still holds my money. And um, so I would actually very much uh, appreciate uh, kind of regulation focusing on the like, how can we prevent things like, like FTX and, and how can we force centralized entities to be very transparent with customer holdings and all of that. Yeah, on that, with regards to regulation, you just mentioned also the SEC and recently they ruled against uh, Kraken with regards to their staking as a service a service that they uh, that they offer. So maybe let's, let's break down that a bit further um, for me to understand. So staking, I get a notification on my phone every now and again that I've been rewarded for my staking. Can you maybe accept or uh, explain the concept of staking? Sure. I mean, it's probably easiest to to um, explain in, in the example of Ethereum, where Ethereum moved from proof of work, which is also the consensus algorithm that, that Bitcoin is is based on, to proof of stake, uh, where you basically economically incentivize participants to uh, to keep the 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 network in in consensus, um, where um, new blocks no longer get mined by like putting in like literally physical work in, in, in the in the example of Bitcoin, uh, but they you run a, a validator and that validates transactions and um, you get penalized for uh, for basically submitting a, a, a fraudulent transaction. And, and so you're economically incentivized to to not uh, to to not behave in, a, in an improper way. And you get rewarded for that, uh, for the opportunity cost of, of locking up capital. And that's kind of really the, the main premise of it. And then in the case of Ethereum, it, it gets a, more, a bit more complex where you have both new issuance of Ethereum that that's going to, to validate us, but then you also have a, a portion of transaction fees that that goes to, to validate us. And then you also have MEV uh, revenue, which is maximum extractable value, uh, which is basically privileged network access. So if you really like urgently need to have a transaction included and you want to be top of the block, um, then you pay for that privilege and uh, a portion of that revenue also goes to, to stake us. But this suggests that there's proactively or there's actively people validate, looking at a transaction and validating it, right? But I get a notification saying you've, thanks for your staking, you get rewarded. That basically implies that I've been validating a transaction, but I have not seen a transaction. How does that work? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure kind of uh, how, what, what your staking setup uh, is. Oh. You can run your own node at home, uh, which uh, like in the case of Ethereum, um, you, you need to, um, you need to have 32 Ethereum at least and to, to, to run your own node. Really popular in, in the last uh, couple of months is, is liquid staking, where you basically um, deposit your Ethereum into a very large pool of, of validators um, who then all share rewards. Also, it decreases variance a lot, where um, really a lot of the, the rewards aren't like coming in every block. But, but they are quite randomly distributed. And so if you stake within a larger pool, you reduce variance of, of staking yield a lot. 
uh, because you basically just have a, a larger um, sample size, really, of of um, of um, validators. Fair. All right. Okay. So let's look at the case then of Kraken um, and the SEC. Can you maybe talk to me a bit more about the case that SEC was holding against Kraken um, and how they rule against them? Yeah, so I mean, the SEC took issue with the specific staking program uh, that, that Kraken uh, had in place in, in the US, still has outside of the US, um, where really the, the SEC didn't assert that staking itself uh, makes Ethereum or any other asset a security, uh, but it was really the specific staking program that, that Kraken had in place, uh, where one of the main issues the, the SEC had with that and was really that... Um, Kraken was basically applying some discretion on on how rewards are distributed, uh, where only a portion of the assets were actually staked, and then um, Kraken was was basically managing the the payout schedule and the specific yield themselves while staking a, a large portion of those assets, uh, but but still they basically kind of made a financial product out of it, and so reading through the the SEC complaint. Most of it actually does read quite quite reasonable and is, is understandable um, kind of from the, the vantage point of, of a regulator. And so I think it, it says a lot less about kind of staking itself, but really it's um, it's the SEC having an issue with Kraken's specific staking program. Are you struggling to plan your hiring strategy for 2023 in today's market? PCN is here to help. We offer a step-by-step -step consultation to provide tailored solutions to improve your hiring plan. Contact us today by visiting teampcn.com contact us to schedule your consultation and let us help you be ahead of your competition. Would you say it's a gray area that Kraken operated in or is this the, because there's a lack of regulation, Kraken just did what they thought made sense the most? I mean, especially in the US, a lot of crypto businesses operate in, in gray areas because it's mm -hmm. just basically impossible to uh, to really register digital asset products uh, with the, the SEC. And so you're kind of in, in this conundrum as a US-based uh, crypto business where like you can either do it without, uh, without registering um, an, an investment product as a security um, or you cannot do it at all. And and so those are kind of the, the choices you have. And um, so I think really, especially in the US, there's a, a lack of clarity um, around how crypto assets and um, and uh, then DeFi staking and, and and things like that are regulated. I would expect there's going to be a much like a much higher level of, of clarity in, in the coming months. But uh, for now, a lot of things are still in, in somewhat of a gray area. I mean, this should be a trigger for the SEC to realize maybe we should come up with some regulation. Let's look at Europe, right? Or is that stupid of me to say? No, I think I think that that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, e even even in Europe, like it's it's no like not even close to being a, a perfect framework for for mm. regulating uh, for regulating crypto assets. Um, but um, I I would expect there to be a lot more clarity in and kind of the the coming months. Well, like you you can really um, kind of looking at the last few months, uh, the the SEC has been uh, very very active and in, in terms of um, enforcing. Uh, rule breaks and um, some of that was reasonable some of that was not reasonable uh, but um, I would expect there to at least be clarity 
Will the rest of the world now follow in terms of finding Kraken, you think? The SEC does this, obviously a big institution, and you say they are still doing this outside of the US. Do you think that the rest will follow or not necessarily? The honest answer is I don't know. No. Um, I think that that's like, it's a very complex uh, question, um, where, like, especially like with so many jurisdictions. Um, I, I really don't want to make a prediction either way. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Sorry to put you on the spot like that. Like, I can imagine indeed it is. It's just, it's like you say at the be said at the beginning, it's very much maturing now. And I think these kind of cases are part of that maturity and these kind of things happen. Um, and I think Kraken was able to settle for 30 million. Am I right to say that? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So yeah, maybe going back to uh, digital assets, right? Why? Because you work with institutional investors quite a lot at Alloy. Why do you think digital assets are a great asset class? I think it's, it's really kind of the, the next iteration of, of finance um, where the the equivalent of, of owning Ethereum is kind of the, if you could have owned the HTTP protocol um, yeah. kind of in, in the internet days, uh, where it's really a, a, a lot of the, a lot of the, the DeFi infrastructure um, has at least a, a chance to be the, the base layer of a lot of financial applications. Um, and, and so I think really kind of looking at institutions that, that are in, in the process of allocating to, towards digital assets or are interested in that, I think really the, the thesis is, do we think the world is going to be a more digital place in five, seven, 10, 15 years? And if it is going to be, what does that mean for how we conduct financial transactions? And I think it's uh, at least a reasonable bet to to assume that if the world is going to be a more digital place, that also more commerce and, and more financial services are going to be purely digital. And um, crypto and, and DeFi in a lot of ways is a, is a bet on that where you can uh, you can basically buy um, infrastructure uh, that, that has a, a chance to power the, the next generation of, of the financial system. How do your, well, I guess the institutional investors you work with very much agree with you, but maybe you've also had to educate them a bit more and, and get them on board with that kind of viewpoint. Across the boards, do you feel that there's an, a clear split between those that are very much not believing in it yet or not seeing it as something that they want to see as an asset class and those that say, yes, we're fully on board, or is it across the board, different variations of, uh, of that? I mean, it's definitely not something everyone agrees with. Um, and so like there's definitely kind of a, it's, it's not an uncontroversial topic, um, I would say. It's very interesting to kind of see, especially on the like very, very large institutional side uh, with BNY Mellon now offering crypto custody services, Fidelity with Fidelity Digital Assets, doing a lot of things in, in the digital asset space. Uh, Goldman has a has a trading desk now. Again, they had one before and then shut it down. And now they, they have it again. Um, JPM is is very active in in crypto and and is building their own infrastructure there. Um, and so I think really kind of looking at what some of the the larger financial institutions are, are doing, a lot of them are spending immense resources on 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 kind of participating in decentralized finance and in some way, uh, whatever shape that that may take. And I think that that's very positive to see. And those that are not, what are the main points of concerns for others to not be on board with this? I mean, I think like making the the, the case against um, 
digital assets is, is almost as easy as making the case for digital assets. Where first of all, I mean, it's it's still tiny, right? And we're kind of comparing um, com- comparing the the market cap of of all of crypto, in which it's smaller than Microsoft or yeah. Google or Apple, and and so it's really a tiny space with kind of um, a very like compared to large financial markets, few participants. And I think that by by itself um, excludes a lot of the the larger allocators who just have liquidity concerns and and don't want to touch it. Uh, but then really kind of the 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 real reason not to allocate to uh, to to digital assets and crypto is you just don't believe it's going to be a larger thing in five or ten years. And and I think that is kind of the um, reasoning by kind of the the deductive reasoning of saying. If that isn't going to be the case, then like, why would I now buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other digital assets? Um, and um, yeah, I think really kind of the, the contention is on like, is digital assets going to be um, a, a larger part of, of everyone's life in five to 10 years? Um, and, and then kind of the investment decision follows that uh, that, that reasoning. If you, if you look at that kind of future that you mentioned, five to 10 years, some say it still won't be accepted. Um, I hardly doubt that, to be honest. Uh, things will go fast. I think five to 10 years is a long time from now. What, how do you look at the future of DeFi? Where do you think it will go? I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see that that even now um, that there's a lot of um, a lot of interlinking of, of traditional finance uh, and, and DeFi. Um, and that's only increased in, in the last few months with um, Maker now holds more than half a billion dollars in in U.S. Treasuries uh, through a, a regulated Swiss bank, and um, you can now buy U.S. Treasuries with uh, USDC through Ondo. And and so I think really kind of the uh, one of the the more interesting areas of, of DeFi is really um, the the area where you connect to like the actual financial system, and it isn't just kind of its own small walled garden in a way. And um, I think that that's really going to be where um, a lot of the, especially institutional adoption is, is going to be driven from, is is from kind of like, how can we use DeFi, but do that with reasonable AML checks and with maybe even KYC counterparties. And, uh, and th- that's kind of the uh, the, the lines um, uh, along which uh, a lot of the, the larger institutions are thinking. And then for you, for Alloy, What's next for you guys within all that? I mean, we really just want to be kind of a holistic access point to to all of that. And, and so we don't really, um, we want to be as chain agnostic and as protocol agnostic as as we can be. And um, and, and so it's really kind of about um, the, the bet we are making is DeFi as an ecosystem is, is going to be a lot more relevant in, in the coming years. And not like what specific protocols is going to be the most relevant. But I don't have super high conviction that Aave is going to be the dominant lending protocol in in three years. I have very high conviction there's going to be a dominant lending protocol. And in a way that that's a much easier bet to make as well, where like you don't have to like bet on like one specific technology stack, but you can just bet on like the the category itself. Yeah, exactly. I need as you are the connector access point. Um, you almost see it from the second row, if you will, or from the first row, I would say, to see what's going on and just make sure that you're connected and can offer that um, connectivity to your customer being mainly large institutional investors, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Cool, Paul. Great. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's been great to uh, yeah have a chat. I uh, like uh, how we broke down uh, to an extent that kind of SEC cracking case. Um, and um, yeah, um, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, jump on the pod to, uh, to have a chat. Um, and good luck with the future. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of InCheck with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to stay updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.